Okay, so let's take a look at this now. The Center for Social Development in Africa has released their report, which has revealed, among other findings, that there was mixed knowledge about the national minimum wage in the domestic worker sector. Most employers knew of its existence, but they weren't clear on the level it was set at and what the temporary exclusions meant. Surprisingly, in the agriculture sector, both employers and farm workers were much more knowledgeable about it. Senzele Mtembu is a researcher at the Centre for Social Development in Africa. Senzele, good morning. Good morning, Cathy, and to your listeners. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Firstly, talk to us about this research. What were you try? What, what were you really looking into, and what did you want to uncover? Sure. So, just to give a bit of background. Um, The national minimum wage was introduced in January of 2019. Um, I think we can all agree that it's, it's, it's a significant policy intervention. And the real intention behind this policy, um, is to address wage inequality and Mm -hmm. to protect, um, vulnerable workers in the labor market. Um, since its introduction in 2019, it's seen a bit of an increase, um, I think around March of uh, 2020, there was a slight increase. But the two sectors that were excluded from the full 20 rand per hour at the at the date of its introduction were the agriculture and the domestic work sector. Mm. And so one of the mandates of the National Minimum Wage Commission is to review the policy annually um, and then provide recommendations to the minister. And so our research was really part of that process and part of helping them inform their decisions mm-hmm. about any amendments. Um, we were really just trying to understand perceptions around the national minimum wage, um, but also the experiences of various stakeholders um, in the early stages of the introduction of this policy. Um, ours was a qualitative study um, and so it's, it's not representative of the broader population in South Africa, but it did help give voice to domestic workers, mm. to employers in that sector, to farm workers, employers and other stakeholders as well. And just to give a nuanced picture of how they are experiencing mm. um, the, this policy. When it came to the implementation of the national minimum wage, and we'll start with the domestic uh, worker sector, you know, first, and we'll come to agriculture in a moment. There was a lot of pushback around what this would mean for households, especially, you know, ordinary people who are at work and who need that support in their homes on the day to day so that they are still able to do whatever else it is that they need to do. Now, Mm. Part of what you found is that a lot of employers actually don't even understand um, mm. what the changes to the min- national minimum wage um, mean. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was quite alarming, um, mm. just the, the, the lack of knowledge um, around this, this policy. And, and one of the things is when you're, when you're implementing a new policy is there's there's a big education campaign that needs to accompany that, right? Mm. So um, I think we know also that domestic work is quite an informal 
sector. So mm. employers of domestic workers don't see themselves as businesses in the same way that agriculture operates as business and is more formalized and organized. I think one of the big issues in the domestic work sector is the fact that there's a lack of organization. Um, there aren't enough uh, organizations who are representing uh, workers in that sector, but also awareness for the ordinary person. I mean, it's very difficult to gauge and it's very mm. difficult to, to ensure that employers of domestic workers are being compliant. Um, you know, one of, one of the findings when it comes to compliance is that as much as a majority of those we interviewed were paying the national minimum wage or above, mm. there were other areas uh, when it comes to labor, uh, you know, compliance with, with uh, the basic conditions of employment act, for example, where contracts were not in place, where UIF was not being paid um, across the board. So those are just some indicators of the ways that it's very difficult to ensure that mm. households are, are being compliant. Were there reasons given for why um, this compliance was, was not taking place? There weren't reasons given. Um, I think if we look at sort of the history and mm. the workings of the domestic work sector, for example, um, a lot of it is casual, a lot of it is informal. Um, sadly, domestic workers are vulnerable to exploitation and unfair labor practices. Um, and, and also experience lower wages. Historically, also, these are sectors where compliance has been difficult, and I think this is part of the reason why uh, these two sectors were excluded from the full 20 rand per hour initially, mm. is that, you know, the concern about the wage level is that it would negatively impact on jobs. So if we set this amount too high, you know, is it going to be difficult for the ordinary employer of a mm. domestic worker to be compliant? Mm. Um, mm. There, there's a lot that I can say about the domestic worker industry and, and the history and just the nuances around that industry and how domestic workers are perceived, how their work is valued. Um, so I think there, there's quite a perception shift that needs to happen mm. and maybe a bit of a formalization of domestic work um, yeah. and, and the skills required to, to be a domestic worker. I think the way that uh, ordinary citizens view domestic work is something that we need to revisit. Mm. It's it's important for for for, for shifting the, the sector and ensuring that there's greater accountability on the sure. part of the employers, and I, I believe on the part of the employees as well. You know, it, it goes mm. both ways. Um, but you know, just looking at the fact that it's households primarily that would be responsible uh, for the remuneration of a domestic of a domestic worker. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the formalization process so registering for UIF and all of the other labor department requirements. Do you think that some households might think that that puts them under undue pressure to then deliver? Um, and, you know, it takes the relationship to a different level, mm. even though uh, it should be there anyway. Mm. 
I think so. I mean, there, there are a lot of blurred lines mm. um, when it comes to the domestic work sector where a domestic worker is seen as being a part of the family. Mm. Um, I think another thing that we found is that non-wage benefits form a big part of, you know, the package. So, and, and it's something that is, is done in addition to the wages, but it really forms, and, and in some instances makes quite a significant difference to a domestic worker and her family, for mm-hmm. example. Um, in some instances, uh, employers are paying for school fees, paying for medical um, medical bills, a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we also found that there are a number of domestic workers who value these non-wage benefits. So it's 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 quite a complex story, and it's it's not black and white. Yeah. Um, but it's it's tricky, and I think it's it's something that will need quite a bit of, um, you know, conversation with a number of stakeholders, with domestic workers themselves, with employers, with those mm. who represent, um, you know, this industry. We need to have a lot more conversation um, in in this sector. I think there is a will on the part of employers of domestic workers to be compliant. Um, I just get the sense that as mm-hmm. employ- employees themselves, um, they they don't see themselves as businesses. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's one of one of the issues. All right, let me bring into this conversation Binky Mashiani, who is the founder and president of the United Workers of South Africa. Uh, good morning, Binky. Uh, good morning. It's United Domestic Workers of South Africa. Oh, United Domestic Workers of South Africa. Thanks for that. Apologies. So let's talk then. Uh, you've been listening into this to this conversation, and uh, we've heard just about the disconnect in terms of of the information that both domestic workers and their employers know about the government regulations that are supposed to be effectively governing that 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 relationship. Why do you think this is not happening? Some domestic workers are manipulated by employers. Mm. Even though the employer knows the laws, she will tell a domestic worker and say, the government say I must register you with the UIF. I'm talking about something that a domestic worker told me. Mm. And this man is going to pay for the children's grant. Uh, they are giving it to people who are, who are uh, having children. So there's a lot of things that the employers are saying to domestic workers that the domestic workers will, will end up saying, no, I don't need my employer to register me because my employers explain what is happening. That's why I say in some instances the employers are, are manipulating domestic workers. And because domestic workers are depending on the employers, mm. they take everything that employers are, are saying to them. That's why at the end of the day, sometimes they come to us, the employer has left them with nothing because they were believing everything and the employer never registered with the UIF because the employer said this and that, she mm. believes in that. And when the employer now leaves it, and go maybe uh, immigrate or go into an, uh, locate into another uh, province. Then they will come to us and say the employer now has left me. She went to Cape Town and left me with nothing. Mm-hmm. And another thing, domestic workers are very ignorant. It's not that all of them they don't they don't have knowledge or they don't hear uh, these things about domestic workers unions. We sometimes we give out pamphlets. I'll go to as far as Mpumalanga, KZN, mm-hmm. and 
organize them, that I want to educate them about their rights. I want to give them information what's happening with domestic workers, but they don't come. They don't come, but they will take those pamphlets and keep them. Mm-hmm. When they've got problems, they will phone you all the way from Cape Town, they will phone you all KZ and Bumalanga to show that they did get that, those pamphlets, but mm-hmm. they didn't come. Let's talk about something that uh, Senzele was was raising earlier. And this is about the nature of the relationship between domestic workers and employers that oftentimes they're seen as part of the family. How do you think that contributes to them being able to tell the employer, well, look, um, but I need to be registered for you if you are, you know, you're violating my rights. When in the same breath, the same employer could well be the person who's maybe contributing towards the education of the employer is supporting them of the employee rather is supporting them in different ways. And therefore, once you formalize that relationship, you know, do domestic workers fears that fear that sometimes it could mean that. Um, some of the other benefits that they that they derive from the relationship mm-hmm. might not be there anymore. That that's true. Mm-hmm. They are scared mm-hmm. or fear to lose their jobs because they think that if they can ask the employer to register them with the UAF, the employer will just say pack your bags and go. And there are mm-hmm. those domestic workers who are dismissed for asking to be registered or for asking the employer that did you register me with the UAF. That's mm-hmm. why when they say to us they are not registered, before we can approach the employer, I. I collect booklets at the Department of Labor. Sometimes they bring uh, the officials are bringing them to our meetings. I'll give a domestic worker those books and say, give your employer and say during the day there were people from Labor Department who passed here, so that the employer can have that UIF book. Mm-hmm. And then after mm-hmm. that, you can find a way how to start a conversation about this UIF with your employer. There's very few domestic workers who are, who are saying, I'm going to. To ask her, I'm not scared. I'm going to speak with her nicely Mm. and ask her about my Mm. UIF. Mm. And there are those employers who say, I will register you. They will take the corporate ID, throw it away, or put it in in, in a drawer there and not registering the domestic workers. And the domestic workers is is thinking that the employer has registered, is paying the UIF. Mm. So there's a lot that is happening in private houses. Another thing also, like I heard the speaker who was speaking here, that there are domestic workers who are treated like families, but there's also a lot of exploitation and manipulation mm. by employers mm. under the name of mm. a family who mm. auntie. While the auntie doesn't have time to knock off, auntie during the night is standing in the house. They are even mm. worse, those who are keeping domestic workers in their houses because mm. they make them to work non-stop. Early sure. in the morning, auntie will be the first one to wake up and do everything and mm. only to find that auntie is underpaid. Yeah. This mom cool. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot that's happening in private houses. It's it's such an important point that, that you're raising there. And and Pinky, you're talking about these booklets that you have. Do you think that sometimes employers also just don't know how to be complying properly? Yes, uh, they, they have helped a lot because some domestic workers that have given their employers those booklets were registered and we were lucky that we had those uh, official uh, departments of labor officially in one of our meetings. Then they were phoning employers as if they were doing inspection because Department of Labor is not doing enough. They, I don't know whether they don't have enough in- inspectors because they don't do any reinforcement. Mm-hmm. That's why there's non-compliance. The employers are so relaxed that there's this law that you must register the domestic workers. There's this minimum wage, national minimum wage for domestic workers. They don't 
do anything about it because they know no one is going to do follow-up, no, no police is going to do anything. Mm. So if the inspectors go, not always, but once in a while, and just say, this month you're going to spend visiting houses, the, uh, uh, inspectors have a right even to, to, to enter the, the estates where people are not allowed to get there. They can get a letter that will allow them to go there. Mm. They can do it. But they don't do it. If they can just do it once, many employers will comply. And I'm telling you, many employers, uh, they are so depending on their domestic workers. We have seen them even refusing them to go home during lockdown. They mm. prefer to keep them in their properties and lock them in their houses because they need them so much. They cannot do anything without sure. them. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. yeah it's, and, and, and I think that that's, that's the part that we need to think about, right? Not those that are necessarily being treated well because that's amazing, that's great. Mm. But the reality is that those who are vulnerable are left in that space and are, continued to, are continuously taken advantage of. Sanzele, I want to find out from you did you find that there was any particular reason why the findings in the domestic work sector were so much worse than what you found in the agricultural (laughs) sector that people in the agricultural sector were actually more knowledgeable on these issues yeah i mean like i said earlier is just the nature of these two industries Mm. is, is quite different um the agriculture sector is a lot more organized uh, with with those organisations who represent labour, um, who you know that's that's part of the reason why agriculture mm-hmm. is you know more compliant. There's better knowledge. Um, they have and, a lot and, more accounting to do, basically, and there are a lot sure. more entities that would hold them accountable. Whereas you know, only now are we beginning to see the emergence of uh, unions and organizations that are representing the voices of domestic workers and are really For being sure. taken seriously. For sure. And these yeah. organizations are doing an amazing job. Mm. The likes of Pinky's organization, mm. um, Satsawu, there's Easy Domestic Workers Alliance. There are just too few of them, in, in my opinion, mm. and it's difficult to reach uh, domestic workers nationally. Um, I think if if you look at where these organizations are based as well, mm. if you look at the resource constraints, um, mm. it's difficult to reach, you know, the more remote areas of South Africa. Mm. And and one of the things that Pinky touched on is this lack of knowledge and the lack of confidence to speak up for oneself and all of this. Uh, we found clear evidence that, domestic worker representative groups, um, you know, such as the unions, that although there are few of them, they actually play quite a vital role in educating domestic workers about their rights and Mm. empowering them to negotiate contracts and wages. So even even in agriculture, we saw that participation in such organizations was also part of the reason why workers were more outspoken, more vocal, more aware of their rights. Um, and we really need to look at strengthening these organizations mm. um, and, and leveraging them to, to improve compliance. Pinky, what would your message be, especially to those employers who, um, you know, are, are not sure about how to get compliant? Why is that important now, especially for some of the members that you represent? It's, it's very important for employers to comply with the law so that the domestic workers at the end of the day, 
they can benefit like all other workers because sometimes the domestic worker will get injured at work and find that it's not registered and will get sick maybe more than two months or whatever. If that domestic worker was registered by the employer, he would have applied for for UIF and and get UIF uh, Mm. during that period. So I always say one thing to employers because you, you, you cannot do much with them because most most of the time they don't want even to hear about unions. We are trying to form uh, a, a bargaining council, but we are still working on it with some employers' organization, mm-hmm. which is led by Albert, Mr. Albert van der Merve, because we are trying to reach out to employers so that we can sit at the one table and say to the employers, okay, this is what the law says. And the employers can say, I cannot do that much. I can do up to this much. Mm-hmm. If we can sit down, they can see that we need each other. We are not fighting with the employers because we cannot fight with the employers. We need employers to have those domestic workers employed to, to be members of the unions. So my, my message to employers is that all the time when they have domestic workers, let them listen to their hearts and they will do the right thing. UIF registration, now it's going to be COIDA. We are asking employers to comply and register domestic Mm. workers for COIDA because many have uh, got injured at work, others have died in the line of duty while they they didn't have this benefit. So if they can just comply with the law, and that will make domestic workers to work happily. Because we're quite sure that we need each other and they they need domestic workers as much as we need them in unions. All right. Pinky Mashiani is the founder and president of the United Domestic Workers of South Africa. Senzele Mtembu is a researcher at the Center for Global Development in Africa. I'll bring you some of the WhatsApp voice notes that you've been sending in. Remember, on the other side of the 11 o'clock news, we're taking a look at the issue of vaccines. Professor Barry Shub, he's the chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Vaccines. He'll be joining us.